Hi there, I'm Paulina, LWC Studios' managing producer. Lend me your ear for a minute. The Supreme Court's decision to repeal Roe v. Wade devastated me and many of my colleagues in podcasting. It continues to be important that we stand together in supporting a person's right to choose. That's why I'm participating in the Listen to Women Coalition. It's a group of audio creators dedicated to uplifting and creating pro-choice content. We've launched a merch campaign with 100% of proceeds going to the National Network of Abortion Funds. You can find a link to Listen to Women on LWC Studios Twitter at LWC Studios. Buy a t-shirt, wear it to your next hang to go to a live podcast show and on the way to the polls. And tell a friend. Thanks. million adults in the United States have a criminal record. This is season two of 70 Million, an open source podcast about how people, neighborhoods, counties, and cities are breaking cycles of incarceration, starting with the local jail. I'm your host, Mitzi Miller. So I got to experience the uncomfortability of just being stuffed in a cage and all. That was real scary. We're keeping people down there with rats, roaches. They got black mold. And we spend $16 million on it every year. We eliminated cash bail bonds in the city of Atlanta. There is no one who's been incarcerated, including myself, who has been helped by incarceration. This is part two of our series on conditions for pregnant women in Texas jails. In the previous episode, you heard the story of Chandra Williams, who spent the last days of her pregnancy in a medical isolation cell in a South Texas County jail and endured labor alone. If you haven't listened yet, press pause, go back, and start there. While in custody, Chandra barely received attention from a doctor, and was only given Benadryl for the pain. By the time she was brought to a hospital, her son Anthony had died. While she was in jail, Chandra told her story to a woman named Diane Wilson. Diane's an environmental activist who was serving time for trespassing. She started to raise the alarm about jail conditions from inside. That work eventually helped form an organization called the Texas Jail Project. Our story picks back up in 2013, nine years after Chandra's pregnancy. At this point, the Texas Jail Project had helped to pass state laws banning the shackling of pregnant women during labor and delivery, and requiring jails to track the number of pregnant women in custody. But they were still pressing for laws requiring better prenatal care and pushing judges to release pregnant women while they awaited trial. A lot has changed but a lot hasn't. This is the story of another pregnancy and a woman who got help in jail thanks in part to what happened to Chandra. Here's reporter Rowan Moore Garrity. Hi there, how are you? Kat Windham meets me on the dirt road near her parents' cabin in Texas Hill Country, west of Austin. This road isn't so bad. Okay. And this is my mom, Bonnie. This is where her parents always wanted to retire. These are the, the cabins. We've had this uh, land for, what, 15 years, Mom? 
But Kat was raised in a small town west of Dallas called Strawn. I'm Kat Wyndham, Catherine Wyndham. I'm 40 years old. Growing up, she says, her father was a foreman on a state highway crew, and her mother was a teacher. It was a small town, but I, I did all the sports and um, got the, all the straight A's and uh, um, homecoming queen. And You were homecoming queen? Yeah, well, it's a small town, but yes, yes, yes. I just didn't, I lacked coping skills, really, basically, to, to cope with uh, emotions of any sort. And so um, I, I just started, you know, I found alcohol and drugs in high school. She was accepted into the University of Texas at Austin and managed to finish college, but her substance abuse kept getting worse. In her 20s, she was hired and fired because of her drinking, then hired and fired again. Finally, she moved out to the desert in West Texas to try and recharge. Once she was there, though, she started mixing alcohol with pills and other drugs. She said if she didn't have a drink, as soon as she woke up, she'd have trouble getting out of bed. Kat's mom, Bonnie, was really worried about her. It was no different than it had been through all those years when I knew she was in trouble. It's like, if this is going to end anyway but her dying young, you've got to stay with her. Bonnie had already paid for Kat to go to treatment for alcoholism twice. I know that it came to a head in Terlingua because I, I think I was basically dying. Like, my body was shutting down. By 2013, Kat's parents had moved to a town near the Louisiana border called Nacogdoches, where her mother's family went back generations. When she called home to ask for help, her parents drove all the way across the state to pick her up and drive her back to East Texas. Kat moved in with them and found part-time work at Lowe's. But she also reconnected with an old boyfriend who was struggling with addiction, too. We couldn't be with each other without using heavily, heavily drugs. This is not, we never had a sober day. That's all we knew. So I'm like, oh, yeah, let's run into, you know, that's the state of mind I was in, just insanity. I'm like, oh, let's rekindle this, and I'm going to stay sober. Together, they started driving around back roads near Nacogdoches, looking for houses where no one was home. Like the thrill of going in there and finding, you know, a drug in the medicine cabinet. What does that feel like? To go in the house? So, well, that you just said it was a thrill on some level. Like yeah. when you, you know, you open a medicine cabinet and actually you find something. Yeah, it's great. You're like, jackpot, they have hydrocodone, they have Percocet, they have Xanax. You know, most people have these things. And you're like, bingo, nine times out of ten, you're going to find something. A few months after she moved back home, Kat found out she was pregnant. And then she got arrested. That day, sheriff's deputies drove her around town and asked her to help them identify the home she'd broken into. Kat says the officers even watched her swallow a handful of pills in the back of the cruiser. She said she was still hallucinating when she was booked into jail. Just that complete detachment from reality. She says it took five or six officers to restrain her and strap her into a chair where she couldn't move. As I sat in the county jail over the weeks that it followed, it's not an uncommon thing. It's, it's you pretty regularly, you know, once every couple of days, somebody's coming in high, loaded, screaming, yelling. They've got him in the chair. We could, I was in a cell where you could just hear the mayhem that ensued. So it's, it's not uncommon. The Nacogdoches County Sheriff wouldn't comment on Kat's case. The arresting officer didn't respond by email or phone. But we learned that he served probation after a court found that he lied on the witness stand in another case. Kat's version of events is backed up by a letter she wrote to her mother from jail a few weeks after the arrest, by medical and police records from her case, and by her family's correspondence with the Texas Commission on Jail Standards. 
At the time, Bonnie knew about Kat's alcoholism and about some of her struggles with drug abuse, but she was shocked to hear about the break-ins. I was upset with her. I mean, to think that a daughter of mine could be robbing people. I mean, who ever heard of such? I taught her better than that. What is she doing? And then I had people telling me she was better off in jail where she couldn't get drugs. Bonnie was inclined to agree. I wouldn't bail her out at first. She'd ask me to, and I wouldn't. Not that I could. They set her bond at $100,000. I didn't have $10,000 to give a bail bond. You know, how was I going to bail her out? Then, after about a week, she went to CCAT and learned that she didn't even have a toothbrush. They wouldn't give her underwear. I wouldn't give her something to keep her warm. She was cold. I had to buy an undershirt from the jail at an extended price. It sounds like all of this was a little bit of a revelation to you. you oh, yes. Goodness. Policemen are there to help us. The law is good. We need it. And the policemen uphold the law. And so they're our friends. <laughs> they're helping us. <laughs> Not like me. Like they're purposely torturing her. So, yes. One day, she stopped by the jail to drop off a prescription for the anti-anxiety medication Kat's OBGYN had given her. And I had gone with her to her doctor's visit, and he had sat down and he had told her, I have seen more babies harmed by a mother's anxiety than I've ever seen harmed by a drug, so I want you to take it. So I dutifully take the drugs up there, and they say, no, we don't give, we don't give drugs like so I'm starting to think. And then it just kind of all comes together. They're not taking care of her, and they need to. I didn't sleep for, like, I swear to you, I didn't sleep for probably seven days at all. Just like the first week? Yeah, because I, I didn't have um, my medication that I'd been prescribed. Suddenly just cold turkey on that. Then Bonnie got a letter from Kat describing meals at the jail. I was really at a hungry part of my pregnancy. So it was like two, two hot dog weenies. And some potato chips, and uh, I remember this, and like a piece of bread, stale bread. You know, that was often the meal. Like, um, no vegetables, really. Nothing with any sort of vitamins in it. Under Texas state law, pregnant women are supposed to receive double-thick mattresses and double rations. That's something Chandra Williams had gotten during her pregnancy in Victoria County nine years earlier. But that's not what Kat's lawyer told her mother. I went to him and I said, I don't care whether you get her out of jail or not. I want them to take care of her. I want them to take care of her as a pregnant woman so the child will be okay. My lawyer was telling me they didn't have to do anything. They were not required by law to give any concessions to pregnant women. Bonnie wasn't satisfied with that answer. So she called the sheriff, too. Well, I I talked to him and uh, he said... Uh, he immediately launched into this big spiel about how she was a dangerous criminal and all the bad things that she had done and, and all that. And I said, well, you know, I realize that, Sheriff, that she broke the law and all that and that she's going to have to pay, but there's an unborn child here and that's who I'm concerned about and that unborn child is innocent. And he said, well, we'll take care of it. Goodbye. Bonnie said Kat's midwife had told her she was at risk for gestational diabetes. And she wanted to make sure the jail would bring Kat to an appointment she had with a high-risk pregnancy specialist. So she called again. After that, Kat says the sheriff brought her into his office. 
told me that if I didn't stop raising a stink, calling my mom, having my mom call people, demanding pregnancy treatment, that they would ensure that I went to jail for the rest of my life, like threatening me, they would make this the hardest thing of my life. They will make sure the judge gives me the harshest sentence. You know, I can't believe I'm saying this. Like they really did this. I'm not making this up. Do you remember your reaction in the moment? Terrified. I was already scared as I could be of everything, of all of it. And um, for them to threaten me on top of that, I believed them. The Texas Jail Project has fielded allegations of mistreatment and retaliation from other inmates in Nacogdoches. Jail commission records show the jail has repeatedly run afoul of minimum standards in areas like providing adequate exercise, conducting suicide screenings, inmate welfare checks, and using restraints. The year before Kat's arrest under the same sheriff, two deputies were indicted on charges of criminal negligent homicide after a woman in their custody died of dehydration. So I just started researching on the internet, and that's when kind of in a roundabout way I got in touch with Diana. Diana Clater is a co-founder of the Texas Jail Project. You heard from her in the last episode. Bonnie Windham emailed her about Kat in 2013. Let's see what we have. Dear Diana, thank you so much for answering my email. Just to know somebody cares about our plight is very helpful. I did tell the Texas Commission on Jail Standards three things. I guess that would be three complaints. I don't know. I told them about the sheriff refusing to give her prenatal treatment of any kind. I told them about the sheriff's threat. Diana was used to hearing from families in the same position as the Wyndhams, being misled about legal protection for mental health or chronic illness while in custody, or being told their sons or daughters were lying about retaliation. Kat's case uh, was illuminating in in a couple of ways. Not just the fact that she was pregnant. She was white, middle class, and the moment they started complaining and her mother reached out to us, the jail's reaction was so hostile. I mean, it wasn't like, oh gosh, here we have another pregnant woman and the family's going crazy because she's pregnant in here. But it wasn't like that. It was real hostile. And I couldn't quite figure it out. She told Bonnie to write a letter to the Commission on Jail Standards, describing everything that had happened. Then Bonnie got to talk to someone at the Commission. I actually spoke to a jail commissioner who told me the truth, told me that they did have to give her double portions and and a mattress and and uh, they weren't allowed to shackle her because she was, you know, being pregnant. She was not as coordinated as she should be and, and uh, that they were responsible for giving her prenatal care and all that. So she tried calling the sheriff again. And he wouldn't talk to me, of course. I just told the secretary, I said, you better tell him to call me because I'm right in the jail commission if you don't, if I don't talk to him. So he called me the second time, said exactly the same thing. When an inspector from the jail commission did visit the jail, Bonnie received a letter saying Kat's care was appropriate. They said she was seeing a doctor, but most of her medical paperwork was signed by nurses or, in a couple of cases, nurse practitioners. You have a real range of medical care, and that's the biggest problem we run into. That's Diana Clater again. At some jails, especially the smaller, more rural ones, the nearest medical provider could be hours away. They may only come in twice a week. So if you're in real trouble and they say they're not going to come in till Wednesday, you may die in there for lack of being getting an ambulance trip to a hospital. In the middle of all the back and forth on Kat's medical treatment, the judge in her case dropped her bail. She was released on her own recognizance. 
She could spend the rest of her pregnancy at her parents' house as long as she wore an ankle monitor, submitted to drug tests, and notified the authorities whenever she left the house. In other words, I was now her jailer. Kat was terrified she'd blow her chance. And she did. It only took about three weeks before she snuck into her next-door neighbor's house looking for pills. I just had this obsession, and um, the neighbor came home and found me and called the cops. Kat went back to jail, but this time, Bonnie was in touch with Diana on a regular basis, and Diana was in touch with the jail commission. I don't know what strings she pulled, but she said, you need to write him another letter. And after they came again, they did start giving Catherine double portions and treating her like they should treat a pregnant woman. She also got to go to that appointment with the high-risk pregnancy specialist. She learned she was having a baby girl. It was a joyful thing. God, this is hard. Um, they, um, they, you know, pointed out the features of my baby on the ultrasound and told me what a, you know how blessed I was and lucky to have a a, um, a healthy child. And they treated me with compassion and uh, nothing but compassion. She took a printout of the ultrasound image back to jail and put it on the cell wall. I guess this is like seven. This is six, seven months pregnant at this point. You know, it's a good little picture of her. But there's a rule that you can't hang anything on the cell wall. So when a guard came by, Kat tried to pretend the ultrasound belonged to someone else. The officer didn't buy it. Like, I find it hard to believe that's not yours hanging on that wall there. Why'd you tell her that it wasn't yours? Probably. (laughs) Kat got written up for that one. As she got farther along in her pregnancy, Kat started to worry she might have to give birth behind bars. You have no idea what it feels like to know you're carrying this child and, and like, you're probably not going to have this child. Like, you're probably going to give birth to this child and the child will be taken away. Three weeks before her due date, when her attorney told her the prosecution were offering a plea deal, she took it. She'd be on probation for 10 years. Any slip-up, a missed appointment, a failed drug test, and she'd be sentenced to seven years in prison. Would have taken anything on the planet to get out at that point. They knew I would violate it. In the kitchen, Bonnie gets out a big box of paperwork from Kat's case. I don't know what I did with the first letter, but I... At the top of the pile is a folder with a few black and white photos of Kat holding her newborn daughter at home. Gosh, she looks so happy there. It wasn't necessarily all dark. She would look at the little baby and she'd say, Oh, Mama, I just can't believe she's so beautiful. She loved her so much. Kat starts to tear up looking at the photos. Standing at the kitchen counter, Bonnie wraps her arms around her daughter. We'll talk about it now, and we'll let it go, okay? Kat's case has been one of the most difficult things her family's ever been through. With the legal fees piling up, her mom came out of retirement and took a job teaching high school science again. Her dad has trouble even talking about the whole thing. And just like she thought she would, Kat messed up a few weeks after she started on probation. She ended up going to state prison. Bonnie had custody of her granddaughter at the time. But the same day Kat left, Child Protective Services came and took the baby away. As Bonnie understood it, the state's position was, even though Kat had already been arrested, the fact that she'd been living with Bonnie when she broke the law showed that her child was at risk. It just broke my heart. I mean, how can you just take a three-week baby? By this point, Kat had broken up with the baby's father, and he'd acknowledged he wasn't in a position to be involved. 
when the family got custody back from the state two months later, the baby went to live with relatives. They decided to go to court to get Kat's parental rights permanently revoked. If you're at the trustee camp, 12 laps makes a mile. If you're at the medium security prison, eight laps makes a mile. So that's what I did. We get wrecked, you know, twice, three times a day. Kat started running when she was in prison, doing laps around the yard, 12 miles a day sometimes. Just laps and laps and laps. And it's a meditative thing. And it's very spiritual for me. In 2016, she was released early for good behavior. She moved back to Austin, got a job at a landscaping company. Now, she gets up at 4.30 each morning to beat the heat and run with a group. You know, they're all successful engineers and doctors and lawyers. And um, I start showing up at these runs, just stepping through my fear, because that's what the sober community teaches me to do. She's been sober for more than five years. Those are all medals that I've got, which is not all of them. In 2017, she went back to Nacogdoches to compete in a half marathon, and she won. That was a good one. With my face and my mug all over the papers for so long, you know, like organized crime ring, criminal woman. Uh, and then to have my face, you know, as like it's first place female was, was kind of gratifying. So, because who knows if anybody even recognized me, but who cares? That same year, Kat went to the state capitol to testify in support of a bill that Texas Jail Project was trying to pass. Legislative aides for the bill's sponsor helped her prepare. They groomed me. They told me, like, basically, don't tell them, you know, like, maybe leave out the part where um, you uh, got re, you know, arrested. Maybe just, like, kind of touch on the parts where you uh, were denied medication and denied the basic necessities for a healthy pregnancy. The hallways of the Capitol building are full of tourists taking pictures and people with briefcases who look like they're on a mission. And if you go to testify, you usually end up waiting a few hours. Kat was terrified. But then? Chair calls Catherine Windham. So this is really hard for me. Um, I'm definitely not the victim in the situation. I'm not here to point fingers. Um, I'm just uh, trying to help somebody going forward who might be pregnant. Um, I feel like my child was the victim. This bill would have required jails to release pregnant women on what's called a personal recognizance, or PR bond, without bail unless prosecutors could show good cause to keep them incarcerated. Kat told legislators how she'd lost weight in jail during her pregnancy, how she didn't get to see a doctor for weeks on end. And it seems like they listened. I just want to say that we appreciate you bringing your experience to us. I know it's not easy to recount these things, but it's very helpful for us. But this was the year so-called bathroom bills were taking up all the oxygen in state legislatures across the country, including Texas. The clock ran out on the legislative session before the PR bond bill Kat spoke about even got a vote. And this is the way it's been. The Texas Jail Project got two new state laws passed in 2009, banning shackling during labor and delivery and requiring the state to tally the number of pregnant women in county jails. Everything else has been slow going. Like teachers were yesterday, maybe? Yeah. And today might be senior day, I don't know. And they go around and lobby everybody for certain... The first thing you see when you enter the Texas state capitol is a rotunda lined with portraits of past governors under a dome 300 feet high with a single star on the ceiling. You know, we had this built 10 feet taller than the U.S. capitol. 
Earlier this year, Diana and the Texas Jail Project came back to the legislature to try once more and get a vote on the bill Kat spoke on. Let's go someplace else and we'll come back. Where the hell is Romero? Diana and her team have been stalking the hallways for months. This year, for the first time, she's got full-time help. TJP got a grant from a foundation in Texas that advocates for access to mental health treatment. My name is Kevin Garrett. I'm the peer policy fellow with the Texas Jail Project. Kevin's in a sharp gray suit. He's got a firm handshake, laptop bag over one shoulder. He's also got a special qualification, a personal history with incarceration. I had a lot of uh, criminal justice involvement early on, uh, fell into alcoholism, drugs, started running with gangs. And and, uh, as a result, I had some uh, pretty stiff legal troubles. That was about 25 years ago. Since then, he's done his time, put himself through law school while he was on parole in Oklahoma, and decided to come back to Texas. From now until June 2020, he'll be trying to build support to help TJP pass new state laws, shuttling around the Capitol from meeting to meeting with Diana. Well, that was good. They're really committed to that bill. Uh, White is right here. He's a long-timer, too. He's got seniority. Kevin has been taking the lead recruiting state legislators. Yeah, they were a little more lively, but still. They're trying to push four different laws along. Three of them have to do with pregnancy. But there are constant reminders of how tiny a sliver of the jail population that represents. In a cavernous hallway in the basement, they pause to get on a conference call. Kini's been handling this case for months and months and months. Kinu is Krishnaveni Gundu, a co-founder of Texas Jail Project. The woman she's been working with says her schizophrenic son has been in a county jail with no psychiatric treatment for the better part of a year. You know, every time I see him, he has things stuffed in his ear. I guess due to the loud noise, it irritates him, and um, it's just stressful. Could I ask something? Yeah. Uh, So it's been nine and a half to ten months he's been without proper medication? They decide to try and get a lawyer to draft a writ of habeas corpus, Latin for show me the body. That way, the family can at least get a court hearing where a judge will have to consider whether their son is getting the right treatment. Kinu and Diana say pleas for help for people with mental illnesses account for at least 80% of the calls and emails they get these days. But Diana says it's still important to try and pass bills on behalf of pregnant women. She says even hearing testimony about going through pregnancy behind bars helps legislators relate to the experiences of everyone else in jail. We have the same woman available that testified at the previous cast. She said, I'm a better speaker now and I'm not so afraid. In the end, though, the 2019 legislative session wrapped up in May before the PR bond bill came up for public comment. Diana and Kinu are still in touch with Diane Wilson. Her notes from the Victoria County Jail got the Texas Jail Project started. When Diane went to jail for her environmental activism in 2005, she started publicizing stories of the other women incarcerated alongside her, including the story of Chandra Williams. She's a beautiful woman. I think of all of the people I met, I remember her the the clearest. When I first called Diane, She and Chandra hadn't spoken in 15 years. But Chandra's story stayed with her. How she was arrested when she was almost five months pregnant. How she went into labor in jail. And how her baby, Anthony, ultimately died. Chandra remembered Diane, too. When I came home, I remember I was telling my husband one time, I said, I got to find this Diane Wilson. 
Chandra had no idea about the Texas Jail Project's work until I reached out on Facebook earlier this year. She told me she only replied to the message I sent because it mentioned Diane Wilson. Hello? Hello? You started to break up, so I... I, uh, We spoke on the phone, and a few weeks later, I went down to Victoria, where she and Duane still live. She invited me to a birthday party for one of her aunts in a huge field outside town. Birthday party doesn't quite do it justice, actually. There were probably about 500 people there. There was a live Zydeco band and people hanging out in lawn chairs outside dozens of RVs parked in the field. Most of the crowd was related one way or another. You better not go back in that line again. Where'd your grandma go? Chandra spent the evening sitting in a plastic lawn chair, picking at a plate of chicken wings, trying to corral her nieces. Delandra, what did you do to her? Earlier when Katie wasn't even here, she was acting all nice and fine. Why are you kicking your sister? Diane Wilson still lives just 45 minutes away from Chandra. So after I got in touch with them, I arranged for all three of us to meet at Chandra's house in Victoria. Hey, how are you doing? Come on. Never thought I'd see you again. He found me. That's great. They talked for an hour on a couch in Chandra's living room. Your story. It was your story. About the last 15 years and about the legacy Chandra never knew her son Anthony had. She still keeps a photo of his gravesite in a small green frame in the corner of the room. October, his birth month, is especially hard for her. It's not a day that I don't... October, when October hits, I go into a depression because it gets hard. Both Diane and Chandra remembered talking about the possibility of a lawsuit against the county jail. But after they lost touch, Chandra put it out of her mind. She says it was hard enough trying to disentangle herself from the criminal justice system while she still lived in Victoria. Towards the end of their conversation, though, Diane brings it up. If you ever want to do something, I know a slew of lawyers. I know my husband's over there, and I'm going to tell you what he's saying. <laughs> Hell yeah, I want justice for my son. I want justice for him. Mm-hmm. I, want them, I want them to feel what I felt. Regardless of the merits, it's not clear that a lawsuit would be possible after so many years. For most wrongful death claims in Texas, the statute of limitations is only two years. But even without a day in court, Dan says Anthony lives on with each pregnancy case the Texas Jail Project works on, and with each new state law they try to pass. Your little baby was one that's going to get things moving for all the pregnant women in these county jails and Texas, that's a legacy from that baby of yours. That's the way I try to look at it now. Yeah, it is. I mean, he passed in order to help someone else. Yeah. That's how I look at it. Took me years to get to that point. Took me years, took me years. Chandra and Dwayne spend lots of time with the children and their family. They're even helping to raise their two-year-old godson. But they've never been able to have children of their own. All she and Duane have is Anthony's burial site in that little family plot in the next county over from Victoria. Rowan Moore Garrity is a reporter based in New York City. Special thanks to Kevin Sullivan, Alyssa Figueroa, and Aura Bogado for their help with this story. 
We'd love to hear about reform efforts in your communities. So please email us at hello at 70millionpod.com. For more information, our episode toolkit, and to download the transcript for this episode, visit 70millionpod.com. 70 Million is an open source podcast, so we invite you to use our episodes, transcripts, syllabi, and episode toolkits in your classrooms, organizations, and anywhere you find them helpful. You may rebroadcast parts of or entire episodes without permission. Just please drop us a line so we can keep track. 70 Million is made possible by a grant from the Safety and Justice Challenge at the John D. and Catherine T. MacArthur Foundation. This podcast is a production of Lantigua Williams & Co. It's edited by Jen Shan and Casey Miner and mixed by Louise Gill. Our associate producers are Adiza Egan and Cher Vincent. Our marketing specialist is Kate Crochelle. Our staff writer is Nissa Ree. Our intern is Emma Forbes. And our fact checker is Sarah McClark. Juleka Lantigua Williams is the creator and executive producer. I'm your host, Mitzi Miller.